Hi, welcome to this episode of Everything's Coming Up STEM. We're your hosts, Kunda and Rikambiani. So in this episode, this is the first part of a two-part series on a conversation about COVID research and vaccination. So stay tuned. So welcome to this week's episode of Everything's Coming Up STEM. So for today, we'll be looking at um, research and vaccination in Africa, specifically in Zambia. And we are joined with our guest, Mr. Michelo Simuyanda, who is a research fellow from CIDAS, which is the Center for Infectious Disease Research in Zambia. So welcome, Mr. Michelo. Thank you for having me. Um, exciting to... Um, be part of this podcast and uh, looking forward to the um, discussion. All right. Um, so I think uh, I've just given a brief intro about you and where you work, but tell us a little bit more about yourself and your area of work. So my a bit background about myself is that um, my training background is I'm a molecular and cell biologist by training and um, I work currently in the Enteric Disease and Vaccine Research Unit for the Center for Infectious Disease Research in Zambia. Um, and my work basically encompasses um, infectious disease uh, control. Um, and I cover uh, a portfolio of um, vaccine research and also uh, covering just evaluation of um, vaccines and how they perform in Zambia and also contributing basic research that contributes to vaccine development and understanding some of these um, diseases. Just the other point I would like to highlight or put across is that um, I also trained as a science teacher. So my first degree from UNSA is a Bachelor of Science with Education degree. So um, I always try to say I'm also um, a science teacher, uh, even though um, I don't stand in class, but I do uh, mentor and teach other um, uh, researchers. Oh, thanks, Majelo. I think that's quite interesting. I actually didn't know you were a science teacher before. One reason we're like really excited to have you on and I think it's because it's an important period for everyone, just seeing how we are in this sort of pandemic and, and COVID is something that has affected all of us. And with the vaccine coming into Zambia, for example, there has been a lot of push from people and uh, just doubt about taking the vaccine. So I think one reason that we brought you on is kind of to talk about that and how 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 to how how to make the vaccine more something that people are comfortable with. I think it would be like a good idea for you to talk about just the research that has been done with the vaccine and like what, how have we managed to sort of monitor the progress of it in Zambia? Thank you for, um, for that um, question. Um, so if I'm to 
talk about the COVID vaccines and um, um, uh, the current work that has gone in, uh, I would like to just maybe backtrack a bit, just to give a brief background around just vaccine development and how the whole um, process goes. In order for a vaccine to be um, qualified uh, or licensed, as we say, um, it goes through several stages. So the first stage is preclinical, which is before it's given to any human being. Um, what happens is that you pick what we call a vaccine candidate. So it could be a component of um, whatever the disease-causing agent is, or it could be the whole agent, as it were. Um, and what happens there is that you test that in, say, um, in a cell culture system where you have special cells that you have just to see whether uh, it's able to either infect the cells or be able to stimulate an immune response that you want. Then you can also, in the preclinical, it goes through animal tests to see whether it's safe in animals and whether it's able to elicit an immune response. What you have to keep in mind is that a vaccine is any agent that you put in the body through injection or oral uh, or taking it as an oral uh, agent, which stimulates your immune response to prime it and create memory so that when the actual infectious disease uh, agent affects the body, the body already has uh, an immune system that is primed to be able to respond either to prevent infection or if infection happens to clear the infection. So in phase one, in the, in the first phase is the preclinical studies. You will then get um, us testing in animals and you know, these in vitro assays uh, in cell cultures. So once you find a vaccine target that's able to show potential in animals, then you go into animal uh, trials. In the animal trials, we've got several phases. The first one is called a phase one, where you have a very few number of people, maybe around 50 or so, where you give this uh, uh, agent in different doses to see whether it is safe and uh, you know at what minimum dose do you need to give so that you don't get any um, uh, uh, severe side effects. And once you pass the safety test, we go into phase two, which is known as um, an immunogenicity phase, which means does the vaccine generate the immune response that you want or you intend to? Then if it is safe in phase one and is able to generate immunity in phase two, phase two is slightly bigger, you go to a phase three, which uh, in clinical trials is called efficacy, which means 
is it able now to do the intended purpose? And in an efficacy study, you would be able to then have one group of people receive a vaccine, another one don't. Then you follow them over time to see if the frequency of people getting disease in the unvaccinated group is higher than the ones in the vaccinated group. And then once you get there, um, you can also do another, which is an effectiveness study, where again, you see whether you test in a near real time or real life situation to see whether um, the vaccine does work. Now, as you go through all these phases, what happens is that each and every experiment, if you like, or trial that you do, they should be independent people. So if uh, Kunda is leading the vaccine testing itself, um, another independent person is supposed to look at your data, for example, your safety data, another independent body is supposed to look at the other data to decide independent of you whether what you are concluding is truthful or is correct. And the reason these things are done, um, these independent groups could be called what we call a data safety and monitoring board. Others use um, different uh, names, but ideally, is to be able to have transparency, but also uh, take away the conflict of interest for decision-making to move the vaccine to another level. So that at the end of it all, it's a transparent process and people are not um, prejudiced or conflicted as they make a decision whether the vaccine is safe or not. And so after all these data are reviewed for safety, immunogenicity, and also whether they are effective, only then you know, is a vaccine then given the qualification to say it's now safe and it can be given for the intended purpose that you designed it for. So every vaccine that you get, for example, here in Zambia, we have AstraZeneca, and the Johnson & Johnson, which they've just started giving recently, um, they have gone through those safety uh, phases. But then even when you have a vaccine, like we have Johnson & Johnson and, and AstraZeneca va uh, uh, vaccine, depending on certain individuals, how your immune response is, there are, like any other drug, some side effects. But what happens is that the licensing or permission to grant the vaccine is based on the fact that there is minimal side effects and the side effects don't give any significance or serious clinical indication. But however, because of transparency purposes, Everything has to be reported, including the side effects, no matter how minimal they are, because that's how the science works. It has to be transparent and you have to be truthful um, in what you do. Um, coming to Zambia here, I know that uh, through the Minister of Health and the Zambia National Public Health Institute, um, they are tracking for example, the adverse events or adverse reactions to everyone who has 
uh, receive the vaccine. There's an app and um, there are other forms and, and platforms where you can report if you've received any serious adverse uh, reactions. And all those are put together to help inform the public. Um, for our organization as CIDAS, we are also doing a small study um, where we are trying to see whether, how does the vaccine perform immunologically in Zambian, in a Zambian population, and also we are collecting some safety data. So in a nutshell, um, that's what has gone into the development of the COVID vaccines and uh, what we are trying to do also locally to just try and either validate what the manufacturers say, but also if there's any new information, we can also curate and feedback uh, uh, to the manufacturers. Okay, thank you, Mirjolo, for that detailed explanation. I think I have uh, a couple of questions from that. I think the first one is really around the, <clears throat> the testing and the human phases. So I think most well, the vaccines that we're sort of receiving haven't been manufactured in Zambia. I'm not sure if there's any that has been manufactured in Africa. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But <clears throat> I think it's just also good that you mentioned at the end on, on the study that you're doing on how it actually how it actually affects the Zambian population. Because I, I wanted to find out the human testing or the testing phases that are done on humans. Like, because I, I, well, I don't want to assume, obviously, but as you have said, different sort of demographics react differently to different things. And seeing that Africa is like, uh, we're a different population, we live in a different sort of environment. And I'm not sure if like during the testing phases, um, those tests were done on people from like, I suppose, different continents or different different countries is that something that like greatly affects the vaccine and how we react to it as well and uh the second question i wanted to ask was about the app i did not know that there was an app that we had to log symptoms or, or talk about the symptoms that that we were getting was there like anywhere else we can find information on how to how to how to report certain symptoms we're getting right thanks so um, I can begin with the first question. So um, when we are going through the different uh, phases, um, especially as you go to phase two and phase three for the immunogenicity and efficacy studies, you do test um, vaccines in different populations as well. And so there is... Um, a proportion, if you like, of the people that are tested, which are representative of the population at risk. So the ethics, if you like, around vaccine development um, have developed over a very long period of time. Because if you look at where science was, I think a few of us know about the Nazi uh, concentration camps and some reports around how, you know, uh, 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 certain human experiments were being done without considering the human subjects. I think that over time, the governance of research has actually improved so that there is indeed fairness 
And part of that fairness includes if we are developing a vaccine for uh, Africans, the African population has to participate in the testing uh, of the vaccine because it's intended for that population. So that is covered. And with the development of these vaccines, um, there is representation of um, people. For example, um, I think the Moderna, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or it must be Pfizer, there were a few uh, trials that were done in Africa, for example. I think South Africa um, has participated in a lot of those uh, trials. Um, and so that clears the concern. While Africa needs to do much more about that, I think that um, to the extent possible, given the resources we have in Africa and the requirements around the ethics, there has been testing. But like I said in my, uh, as I was concluding, that even if they have done those tests, even post-licensure, you are also supposed to continuously track and monitor uh, these vaccines to see how they perform. Um, and it's part of safety uh, and then it's routine, it's, it's done. Um, we also decided, I think, as a country to be able to track those. And also we have a small sub-study, like I said. Um, regarding the app and the links to report, um, I don't have the URLs at, with me at the moment. But if you went to the Zambia National Public Health Institute website, um, there should be some information there or contact details they should be able to um, provide. I will, however, uh, I think share with you some of the links and um, the apps um, that you can use to be able to log in the uh, symptoms if you do experience any when you get um, vaccination. Okay, yeah, that would be good. I think we'll, we'll also just add them to the descriptions of the podcast and hopefully people will be able to like find those as well. Um, just while we're on that, is there anything, because you've said that you've, you guys have been doing studies as well, is there anything interesting you found from the studies that you've been doing? Um, at the moment, we haven't had any I don't know whether interesting means that um, something contrary, <laughs> but I think we, we haven't found any, this is, we haven't finished the analysis, but we, ha we don't see any serious adverse reactions, at least for the people that we are following up who got the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, most of them, when they got the second dose, they, those that may, reported to have had some mild, uh, like a fever or some malaise, like body weakness, when they got the second dose, most of them didn't experience what they experienced in the first dose. Um, that's kind of common and is expected. So nothing unusual, but I'm sure when we do look at the data critically uh, and also look at the uh, immunology uh, readouts, 
we might be able to also kind of report on that. But at the moment, um, that's what I can say uh, in the preliminary. That's what the data looks like. Okay. All right. That's quite interesting. Do you think that, because um, obviously people people always report these things, like one of the reasons that they don't want to take the vaccine. Um, I've heard one where people are like, oh no, the Johnson and Johnson one, it, it makes you barren. I've heard that. Or you, yeah, you get these like really bad symptoms that you never recover from. Do you think it's a thing where kind of social media only puts a magnifying glass on the small percentage of people who've gotten really bad symptoms or affected really badly. And then that's the only thing that people take from that. And that kind of creates that doubt in people to take the vaccine. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and and it's, it is a very huge um, debate. I think that the correct term um, that people use is vaccine hesitancy where a lot of people hesitate to get the vaccine because of what they have. Now, there's a lot of misinformation, I must admit, uh, that's out there. And having social media uh, platforms doesn't help. Um, but um, the issue is that there are side effects or people may experience a few things around headaches, others say fever and, 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 and things like that. But when you look at the safety profile, um, for a vaccine to be confirmed safe, what happens is that they, or con, or to be considered unsafe, it means those adverse reactions must happen at a rate that is higher than normal in a population, then you say, okay, I think this is a huge uh, problem. Now, there are a lot of myths. I will address the issue of um, uh, people saying then they are going to be barren and then you know you are going to be depopulated. So if you look at the way the current kind of COVID vaccines are, are made, the focus really is around the technology, which is called the mRNA uh, technology. And this one um, is basically, if you go back to basic cell biology, what happens is when a cell wants to make a protein, um, it copies a section of its DNA and that section it makes a message and that message is called the messenger RNA, which comes, that's how the short for mRNA. Now that's a message that goes to a protein structure called ribosome. And the ribosome will read this code, short code, if you like, to make a protein. So once it makes a protein, the short code is destroyed and the protein is made to function what it needs to do. So in the case of, say, a COVID vaccine, which is an mRNA or a DNA vaccine, that message will make a protein that looks like the spike protein of the corona. And once that protein is made, your body will recognize and say, this is a foreign 
protein, it's not self, and we will create an immune response towards this foreign protein and destroy it. But as it destroys it, it primes the body like an army. When it, the army is doing drills, um, they anticipate an attack. So say an aero attack. What will happen is they can simulate a helicopter and all these coming and how you would shoot it down. So that when the actual attack comes, you kind of have rehearsed what you need to do and you don't have to guess too much because you have seen something similar. So that's how it works. So once that protein is produced, it's destroyed. The message is also destroyed immediately you finish what you need to do and there's nothing that goes into your reproductive health uh, system um, to that effect it's just intramuscular and within the muscle cells you trigger an immune response and then your whole body is primed otherwise there's nothing that uh, specifically goes to your reproductive uh, health system but there are a lot of um, myths and rumors that are circulating around um, uh, uh, these uh, uh, side effects or things that I think we don't need to ignore as a scientific community. I think we need to engage and through fora like this to be able to, uh, uh, if you like, not really dispel, but to engage the people and share the information uh, that is out there so that people can be assured that you know there's safety, there's a lot of consideration that goes into uh, these things and um, um, that the scientist is also in their own right, is supposed to be responsible uh, in doing their work, but at the same time, they are also regulated by other independent people to make sure that they are doing uh, their work correctly. Okay, you know, I'm actually glad that uh... Towards the end, you mentioned that um, uh, the scientific communities, they are not necessarily to dispel the arguments or the myths that people are, coming, are bringing up, but to actually engage people on that. Because I noticed uh, most of it maybe is coming from uh, a layman's point of view or lack of really understanding what goes into it. So I think for me, this is also educational when you talked to us or walked us through the phases. Because another thing that... Um, usually came up is no how come the vaccination was created in such a in such a short period of time doesn't this take years but i think running us through that you get to see that okay it actually they've actually done the due diligence before it actually reached or reaches the let me not say patients but the community at large um so something that i wanted to find out you did mention that at CIDAS you are collecting some information and there's an application out there for people to input their symptoms and um, side effects but as a whole what contribution have we made or are we making towards research and vaccination either in africa or in zambia to be specific thank you so much for tuning into this episode Look out for the second part of our series in the next episode. Don't forget to follow us on our social media platforms. That's Twitter and Instagram at Tukule STEM and Facebook at Tukule STEM Network. Let us know what topics you'd like to discuss. And if you'd like to feature, please, please, please get in touch. 
Bye and join us next time on Everything's Coming Up STEM.